Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita and let's begin. Hi, and welcome to episode 74 of the Love Food Podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today. Whenever I read general healthy eating advice, there seems to be a consistent recommendation to eat at the dining room table. And I'm trying really hard to not just say, blah, 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 because it is such a common recommendation. And I appreciate why they recommend that. You know, and as I say this, I'm like, who's this they people anyway? But I do appreciate why they recommend it. It's important to not be distracted while we eat. Yet, um, I think the advice comes across as very black and white. And what if you're someone who can't, you know, and maybe you've tried to eat at the kitchen table, but you're just finding it a really hard thing to master or hard to tolerate. And eating in front of the TV is the only way you can tolerate a meal. Certainly distracted eating is not a common thing that we recommend. Yet um, for some people, distracted eating has gotten them through some really traumatic times. I know many people that have a history of the dining room table or the kitchen table being a very unsafe, chaotic place while they're growing up. And so the thought of eating there again can feel really scary. And I have a letter from someone who experienced just that. She's feeling really stuck because now as a grown up, she wants to eat at the table. She thinks it sounds interesting. She's really curious about it, yet it's connected to so much that is scary and negative, frightening. And I think she's feeling a lot of shame about that too, because it sounds like really simple advice, just eat at the kitchen table. But anytime we give or receive simple advice and it just doesn't seem to connect that easily, well, it's because it's not simple. It is more complicated and I can't wait to dive in and explore some different options. And I'm really excited that you get to hear from someone really special. Her name is Rachel Cole. She's a fabulous supporter of women as they are exploring a healthier relationship with food and their body. She's super empowering. And I've been reading her blog posts and watching her work for a number of years now. And I think if you are new to Rachel's work, you're going to really appreciate her point of view, her compassion, her expertise, and all that she can bring to this conversation of food peace. Before we get to this week's letter, a word from our sponsor. This episode's sponsor is my very special PCOS series. I'm launching it this summer and it aims to help you understand your PCOS, improve your relationship with food and advocate for better care. So what am I doing in the series? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. And I've been working on it for a very long time and I'm thrilled to finally let you know about the details. So I have connected with a body positive, non-diet nutrition student in training. I know that's a mouthful, but she's a nutrition grad student. And her name is Kimberly Singh. And she also is affected by PCOS. And she is going to be blogging with me this summer all about her experiences with PCOS and really diving deep into the research behind 
using a weight inclusive, that's fancy language for body positive and non-diet approach to treating your PCOS because choosing to not diet is not letting yourself go. It's also not just throwing research out the window. There actually is a method to this madness. And I know that once you experience moving away from diets to treat your PCOS, you're going to feel more energized. You're going to feel more empowered and you're going to feel more at home and your own skin. Those are always my goals. I'm really excited for you to connect with this and something else that we're doing because we're so excited about it is we're also going to have a very special PCOS and food peace support group on Facebook. So the way to connect to the blog post series and the Facebook group is just go to my website, juliedillonrd.com slash PCOS series. Again, it's juliedillonrd.com slash PCOS series. All right, let's get to this episode's letter. Dear food, you, me, the TV, and the couch. Since I was a child, I have been eating on the couch while watching TV. 40 years later, I still eat on the couch while watching the TV and the computer screen. Out of the corner of my eye, I can see my dining room table stacked high with kitchen appliances and cans of food I haven't put away yet. Part of me wants to eat at the dining room table with nice music, placemats, candles, my partner. But clearly, the part of me that wants to continue eating on the couch is winning. I started eating on the couch because the kitchen table was such an unpleasant place growing up. I felt trapped while my parents were silent or argued. Sometimes there was violence. The food my mother served was a disappointment. A couple of times, I was very afraid when my mother started choking. And instead of helping, my father just yelled at her for choking. My father's inflammatory bowel disease meant food had to be bland and monotonous. I think my mom got tired of cooking for a man who couldn't eat. He focused on bread and butter and bananas and beef and turnips. I think I avoid the dining room table because of bad memories. Lately, I have been thinking it goes beyond that. I think I avoid it because I was traumatized there, because of the tension and yelling and violence and sadness. When I occasionally eat at the dining room table now, I feel like a vulnerable child. I would like to clean off the dining room table and make it nice and start eating there. But I have avoided doing that for 30 plus years, so I'm not so sure what I can do to make this change. Signed, still eating on the couch all these years later. Hi there, letter writer. Thank you so much for your note. And wow, that is a really tough experience to have over something that is a really common part of our everyday life. The kitchen table is something that so many of us sit at three, four, five times a day. There's so much community there, connection, and it's sort of like breathing or, um, I don't know, putting your pants on every day. It's like a normal part of our day. And how tough for you to have these really violent, um, sad, neglected kind of connections to it. And um, I don't know what the next best step is for you. I have a feeling there are many different steps and there's probably not a right or wrong. One thing I do know though, 
whatever steps you decide to take, that vulnerable connection that you feel whenever you do sit at the table, I have a feeling it's going to be part of that. And so part of your decision is going to be, how much do you want to feel that? And I find for so many people that I talk to and, you know, healing my own um, experiences in life, that vulnerability is a part of it and there's a time and a place for it. So sometimes um, it's okay to need a space away from feeling so aware and vulnerable. And the more we can connect to that, the closer we'll get to that peaceful experience that we're looking for. So a few years ago, I read a blog post that just rocked my world. It was called Dieting is a Violent Act. And it's by a woman named Rachel Cole. And I've been following her uh, blog posts and social media ever since then. So when I read your words, letter writer, I was reminded of Rachel's work. And I have a feeling she's going to have some really cool insight for you, something for you to consider as you continue to move forward. So let's go ahead and give Rachel a call. Rachel, it's Julie Duffy Dillon. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am great, and I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for um, agreeing to help me with this letter. You know, when I read it, there were certain parts of it that really connected me to some of the things that I've read that you have worked on and done. So I'm really excited that you'll be able to, I don't know, just help like sort it out and get some things on this like metaphorical and literal table, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm so glad that um, we get to dig into this together because this is a really, um, no pun intended, but meaty topic. Yes. There's a lot of puns in this work. <laughs> <for> <laughs> yes, sure. Endless uh, food puns. Un- endless. Um, well, and like I said, when I read it, it, it really connected to things that I've read that you've done. And so when mm-hmm. you read this letter, what what was like the general like impression you had? Or like, what, w- what do you feel like she's trying to tell us that she's experiencing? Well, first... I just have to say that, you know, my heart broke a little uh, for the fact that, you know, she wasn't given, um, you know, a positive eating environment as a kid and that she has this trauma associated with, um, with you know, mealtime. And so that was like, just like, like, oh, I'm so sorry that you didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, well, my, my sort of general sense is that there's different parts of her and they're wrestling with each other. Mm. Um, so there's this, there's this traumatized little girl, but there's also this part of her that's, you know, really curious about, you know, what would it be like to eat at my dining room table? And there's this part of her that, um, that, uh, you know, is hungry for more satisfaction, it sounds like, around her eating experience. Um, so for me, I'm really wanting to to offer up ways in which she might feel more choiceful because it feels like uh, for her, she's in like a, a lockjam, like there's no, there's no getting this thing to budge. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I've tried or I thought about it for 30 years and it hasn't changed. So why is it going to change now? And, 
you know, I'm wanting to support her and feeling choiceful. So first mm-hmm. off, there's no should here. You don't have to eat at the dining room table. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. You can totally eat on the couch in front of the TV. Um, what we want is for everybody to feel like um, whatever is going on for them, they're choosing it. It's what they want. Mm. Um, rather than it's what they have to do because any alternative feels too scary or out of reach. Or um, So that's the first thing is I really want to put to bed this idea of you should eat you know, without any distractions at the table. I know that's a big Janine Roth thing and, and there's a time and a place for that, but I never feel like forcing anything ever works. Um, I I agree a hundred percent. And I think it's really important what you said, uh, even that word like choiceful, mm -hmm. because I'm a, big fan of eating mindfully and I hate shoulds when it's associated with it because then it becomes shameful and Mm -hmm. diety. And I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, she doesn't have to sit at the table and I want her to have that choice. You know, I want it to be an option. She could also eat at the top of the stairs or she could eat on the back porch or (laughs) at the kitchen sink. I don't care. You know, I think it's, it's a, wherever a person needs to eat and where they feel safe is really important. And something else you said I wanted to mention that it really was, um, I guess I'm, I'm a very visual person, so I was picturing it and you put words to it, even though I kind of think I was picturing that when I read the letter, but about how there's different parts of her and they are in this kind of discussion. I, I can't remember what you said, uh, but somehow they're um, at, I don't know if you said at odds or something, but they're, they're conflicted. Wrestling. They're wrestling, yeah, because it wasn't really a fight, but it was like this yeah. like, what are we going to do? And I, I did, I pictured this letter writer, you know, in the present and looking back at her experiences that laid this foundation with like this traumatized mealtime environment and then trying to look forward and seeing it different, but, you know, not, not being able to see how that can transform to that. And, and I know that the thing that's really important that I, that I, you said that I think is really great. And I want to highlight is that there, it doesn't have to be all or nothing with it. And there's no, there's no shoulds and there's no timeline. And, um, I think it's really cool to think about just how can we make this have as many choices as possible or that choiceful that you said. And, you know, what do you feel about, like if, if, if you can imagine this letter writer sitting in front of us and, you know, she's looking at mm-hmm. these two different parts or these many different parts, what mm-hmm. are some first steps for her then to, I don't know if she's wanting to move forward and find a way to either literally eat at the table or even heal some of that trauma associated with eating, you know, is, are there some first kind of steps that you would yeah. say that are helpful? Okay. I would love to hear them. I have, I have a lot. Oh, good. Um, I would love to hear them because I think, you know, the thing that's really cool about this letter is she has her own unique experience, but there are many people who were brought up in an uh, eating environment that was quite like um, yeah. chaotic um, and so I think a lot of people will like to hear what you have to say. Yeah. So first I just want to, I want to back up though and say, you know, we want for the things in life that are really great, that are really pleasurable, that are really enjoyable. We want to be there for them. So it's kind of like, I often use the analogy with my students, you know, if you go for a, a massage, you 
in some ways you don't want to fall asleep during it because it, the experience of it is so wonderful. Um, and the same thing with mealtime. We want it to be so wonderful that we want to be there for it. So uh, I'm just going to put that, put a pin in that and say, um, you know, she mentioned that food growing up was really not pleasurable. It really didn't taste very good. It wasn't yummy. And so I'm curious for her, you know, how is food as an adult? Is what she's eating really delicious? Mm. Is she really enjoying it? Is it something that you would even want to show up to experience? So that's just some questions I would have for her. That's a really good question. Yeah. And I think that's an important step towards um, healing. And, 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 you know, I think for so many of us who had a childhood that didn't include adults that were able to provide what we needed, sometimes having a connection then to our adult voice and just being like, okay, yeah. so how is it now? You know, yeah. am I experiencing that now? And of course, there's many different answers to that. And that would be interesting to hear what that would be like. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, how can that traumatized little girl uh, be acknowledged and loved and tended to, but not given all the power? Because it feels like the traumatized little girl is getting to make all of the calls. Hmm. Um, and, you know, what does she need? And there are, you know, if, if the, the writer, you know, hasn't, I don't know what level of therapy she's had or, you know, but there are great therapists and somatic therapists out there that can help you um, process and heal that trauma that gets stored in the body, which totally makes sense that, you know, she would have with that eating environment growing up. Um, but you can really go to a therapist and say, this is my specific goal in mind. I really want to have my eating experience not bring up this pain from my childhood, um, you know, and work through that. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so important not to say to yourself, like, I should just eat at the table. Like I should just, I should just not be eating at the couch because, well, and it it wouldn't, it wouldn't attend to that trauma and uh, it wouldn't provide any healing. It would just keep it in the body. And, you know, if she's in a place where she's like, you know, I think I'm okay with sorting through it, then that's why it's important to not just like skip ahead, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I would be interested in, you know, First, like, what does what would it take to just make the the dining room even available? Like, not even to eat there, but just to make it available. Because right now, it sounds like it's not available. There's things on the table, um, so I think that would be my first step. And maybe that requires a friend coming over and you know working with you or helping you or a professional to just say like, let's make this dining room even an option because it's not an option right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when she's uh, eating in other people's dining rooms or eating at restaurants, is there anything for her that makes eating at a dining room table enjoy- enjoyable? I was, I was wondering that, too. I was, I was like, I wonder how the dining room table is at friends' houses or she goes out yeah. to eat, if it feels okay, or if that also feels like a connection to the childhood or feels threatening in some way. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, how could she make her dining room feel different enough from her childhood dining room, feel like fresh and new with, with the lighting or the linens. or. But I think what part of the step is not even to focus on sitting at the dining room table, but really just making it available with no pressure whatsoever, but a commitment to keep the table available. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you, you talked about, you know, 
sort of staying out of black and white thinking, like it has to be either or. And I was curious, you know, what would it be like to, you know, stay on the couch, but eat and not watch TV or put a TV in the dining room or try 10 minutes or 10 bites um, at the dining room table and then move to the couch or just play with breakfast and then don't worry about lunch and dinner. Um, there's a lot of other ways that you can sort of see, you can make little shifts without trying to do this all mm-hmm. in one overhaul. Yeah. You know, I've almost even pictured like, what would it be like to have just like a cup of tea at the table? You know, even yeah. if, even if we just connected to something that would be nourishing or read the newspaper at the table, <laughs> I don't know, just yeah. something uh-huh. that was um, calm and maybe I'm, I, I don't want to put any assumptions out there, but I'm, I'm assuming she would rather it be a calming kind of connection and, yeah. um, and having some activities, like I think of tea and, and reading the paper as something that mm-hmm. would be grounding and, um, calming. And so I, yeah, I was even picturing some steps like that too. And, um, I, as you describe, like making it available, I'm getting this really like gorgeous picture, like it, it, it I don't necessarily mean it as like a vanity kind of thing, but mm-hmm. almost like a nurturing, you know, it, it, spending yeah. time, figure out what you would want there and tending to it. And I feel like so much of our relationship with food is just dripping with metaphor. <laughs> and yeah. I think about how that would be a wonderful um, activity for many people and um, a nurturing type of um, experience just to, I don't know, like you're you're worth this kind of care. And then this is, um, this is important for your bed. You Mm -hmm. know, you want sheets that feel good. You want Mm -hmm. a mattress that feels good. You want pillows that feel good. You want the lighting to feel good. It's it's true for all of the areas where we are in our house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like in, in our literal house and in our metaphorical one. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. So that's such a, that's such a great visual. Um, and I think that would be a really neat activity to do. Yeah, and I, you have to start, all of us, anytime there's something we want to do but we feel resistance or it feels scary, we've got to start with low-hanging fruit. We've got to start with the smallest baby step that feels available to us. And so, um, you know, you and I are tossing out ideas. You know, I'd really want her to listen in to see, like, I could do that, you know, to listen in for things that's like, I could try that little thing. I love the, the idea of sitting with a cup of tea and maybe even just having a journal and a pen on the table to just write down like, wow, I'm feeling my lungs feel tight or, you know, I'm, I'm feeling the urge to get up and leave or just to sort of track her lived experience. And, you know, maybe she has a, a little timer on her phone and she's only at the table for three minutes just to sort of see, like, what's this like? What's going on for me? Wow. You know, oh, this tea t- feels really good. Oh, I really wish I had a cushion on this chair or, you know, mm. just to sort of check it out. Yeah. Instead of the experience that she maybe had growing up, which was probably a functional kind of checking out <laughs> that she had yeah. um, in order to feel safe in those moments. And um, so reuniting with that experience and staying grounded in the present. I think that's a really neat idea. I mean, I'm also picturing like a really cool notebook, you know, <laughs> and writing it down. Mm-hmm. And and um, and I think it's important for this letter writer to, you know, just aside from some of these, you know, which ones feel like they would feel okay and to not make it feel like it's just like a have to, should to. And um, I say that because I feel like so many people I talk to, they do feel this like shame or um, they don't feel a lot of compassion with the, 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 the activities of eating that they have now that like eating in front of the TV, you know, I think those are, those are actions that some people feel um, really ashamed about. And, I think for this letter writer, that is 
how she probably has survived, yeah. you know? And yeah. those are really important functions to that. So a lot of wisdom there. Yes. Like her, her younger self um, really did what she needed to do. And I'm so right. glad she did. Yeah. And I also want to say, you know, I eat in front of the TV sometimes. And like, that's not a dirty thing. It's not mm-hmm. a, it's not a bad or shameful thing. Again, it just all depends on how you feel, how, how you feel when you're done eating. You know, did you get to, are you, you know, that might be sort of an advanced, you know, thing to be able to enjoy a meal and watch something on TV. But, um, you know, I don't do it every meal, but mm-hmm. I just want to sort of say like, there's, I feel like there is a cultural message of like, like that is inferior to eating mindfully at the table. And I want to say like, not necessarily, no, but I yeah. am hearing from this reader or this writer that she, there's a part of her that is not totally satisfied with the way things are. It doesn't feel good to her a hundred percent. And that's what I want to listen to. What would feel better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's important for her to stay super curious about that and, and to notice. Yeah. It, it, Cause yeah, what could it be like? And I wonder um, if there's a part of, you know, I'm a dietitian. So I, I think of even the literal, like, I, is there a part of eating that she hasn't connected with many times? You know, the mm-hmm. feeling of getting nourished and energized from a food has she, and like you said earlier, has she enjoyed it? And um, this may or may not allow her to connect with that. You know, I don't know, but it, it certainly is something that'd be cool to experiment with. You just said, I think the million dollar word, which is experiment, you know, which I'm a is big really, fan of that. <laughs> yeah. So I think that it's not about her making a life's change that she, you know, she moves to the dining room table and never looks back. It's, it sounds like she has ahead of her, uh, a period of experimenting in all kinds of different ways and getting that feedback loop from her body. How does this feel? How does this taste? How does, you know, what does my body say about this? What does my breath say about this? Um, and that's how we, we get the information we need that, you know, you or I are not going to be able to provide for her, but her through little experiments, she's going to be able to figure out what works best or what she needs. Mm-hmm. Cause even though she's been through some, really, really tough times, she's still the expert of herself. You know, she's still the one that's going to know. And her body, you know, the more that she connects to her body and and can say she's experiencing more embodiment, I suppose, the more... To become, she'll become acquainted with that. So, yeah. um, well, I know you said that you had a, a few things and I'm, I'm wondering if you gave us all your kind of tidbits and wisdom or if you have a few more. Oh, you know, I think I would add that, you know, what would it be like to um, listen to an audiobook or a podcast, you know, to see like, because it sounds like part of it is that the, the TV or stimulation keeps her company. Um, and I would be sort of curious, like, could you get that from, from, you know, something that is just auditory so that your eyes are freed up to sort of, you know, look at your food and... Um, that might be an experiment that I would try. Um, and you know, again, I would, you know, I wouldn't do this alone. Mm -hmm. You know, I would, you know, I'd reach out whether that's again to a friend or a professional, but it's okay that this feels hard and it's okay to say to someone like, it would really help me if you'd come over and sit with me or it'd really be helpful if we could talk through this or if I could, you know, um, you don't have to do this all alone. Yeah. Well, you know, those moments when this letter writer said that she feels vulnerable when she does go to eat at the table and she feels like she's connecting to that vulnerable child. 
Is there anything that you have found helpful in those kinds of moments? Like maybe there's a moment where she's like, I want to stick with it. I want to stay here and feel this. Um, Anything that you have found to be helpful? Yeah, well, I think that's where this idea of, of really seeing that we've got different parts of us. And so having an active dialogue with that child, like, yeah, I really see and recognize that you are freaked out right now. Oh, I really see that this is bringing up some, you know, old, hard stuff. Like, and I am right here with you and I'm not going anywhere. And like, and I love you and I, and we're safe here. We're not back there. And, um, just really staying connected to and engaged with that part of her and providing for that part of her, what she didn't get, you know, back in her childhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, those are great steps. I really appreciate this insight. And I'm wondering if you have something, Rachel, that you would like to add to our Food Peace Syllabus. And if you're new to the podcast, the Food Peace Syllabus is this collection of resources we've been gathering as we walk this journey of food peace. And, um, you know, it's, it can be books, it can be um, other podcasts or blogs or so many different things. Um, is there anything that you would like to add to it, Rachel? Yeah, you know, there's a book that comes to mind. Um, it might seem like it, it's not an exact fit, but it's called it's called Finding Yourself in the Kitchen, Kitchen Meditations and Inspired Recipes from a Mindful Cook, and it's by uh, Dana Veldin. And um, I think it would be a, a really powerful sort of way of starting to begin to uh, have more space for the range of experiences, whether that's anger or sadness. Um, as it pertains to the experience of eating and also just to bring more curiosity and um, sort of sensual awareness to the experience. So it just, it jumped out at me when I was reading this. I was like, oh, I think uh, this uh, writer would, would really connect with that book. Um, and then, I mean, I, I run a program mm-hmm. called Feast, uh, which is a, a three month long online program where we we go into self-compassion and sensitivity and emotional coping and intuitive eating and all of these things. So um, that is also something I would recommend. Yes. I think your program um, is something that I think many listeners to the Love Food Podcast would really connect with and provide a source of, um, I don't know, just further lighting their path to food peace, you know, give them some more um, access to it. So let's definitely put that on there too. Yeah. And yeah, I think, I know it helped me to have, um, like, I don't think I could have figured it all out on my own. Like there's a way in which I got it intellectually, but I needed people there to troubleshoot with and to be sort of in the trenches with me as I was sort of healing my relationship with food. And, um, and so that's really what I think it provides is like, if you just want someone right there as you're sorting through it. Well, I almost picture that vulnerable child, the letter writer was talking about. I almost see feast is something that would sit with with her and her adult self and help her to to move through that moment and decide what she wants to do next. So awesome. Well, I am really just so thrilled that you were able to um, help us with this letter. So thank you very, very much. And if anyone would like to find out more information, maybe about feast or any of the other programs that you have, is there a way for people to get in touch? Yeah, my website is rachelwcole.com and it's all there. Awesome. Well, I will put those in the show notes for anyone who is wanting to find out more information. So again, thank you so much, Rachel. It was so great connecting. I've been like watching your work for a while now. So I'm so glad I actually got to talk to you live. It's been such a pleasure. 
Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. All right. There you have it. Thank you so much, Rachel, for giving us your compassion and expertise. And Letter Writer, I hope it gives you some starting points as you navigate these next steps on your food peace journey. And thank you for inviting me to partner with you on it for these last few moments. So food is written back, and I'm excited to hear what food has to say to you too, Letter Writer. Before I sign off, one last word from our sponsor, my very special PCOS summer series aiming to help you with your relationship with food and your body and giving you evidence-based information to help your PCOS management. You can find it on my website, juliedillonrd.com slash PCOS series. And be sure when you are checking out the blog post to also join our special PCOS and Food Peace support group on Facebook. I cannot wait to chat with you more there. So letter writer, before we hear from food, please know that we'll be sending you lots of positive vibes and we hope you can stay connected. Let us know how things are going. Take care. Dear, still eating on the couch all these years later. Hi there. We are grateful you're reconnecting after all we've been through. Through all those chaotic early years, we know we have been bland and boring. Through it all, please know we still were honored to nourish and energize you. As you continue to move forward in this life, we see your curiosity for other options. We hope you compassionately sift through the options and put them all on the table. Go at your pace and invite your future self, your young self, and present self to the table. Together, decide how you want to decorate and arrange this place. Be patient with each other and notice how your body experiences it. Let curiosity guide your experiments because this is the recipe for a satisfying and nourishing meal. Love, food. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is a Love Food Podcast. Do you want access to more food peace? Jump on over to my website and join my email list. There, I share exclusive content that I don't share anywhere else. Get access to these tips and strategies by going to juliedillonrd.com forward slash sign up. And I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Love Food Podcast. Take care.